This episode is sponsored by IOTA Origin, which is bringing tokenized commodities into Shimmer DeFi. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Podcast. Welcome back guys, I'm here with the founder of Radix and we are going to take a trip down the Radix rabbit hole to explore what this crypto has to offer and why it said it's about to change DeFi as we know it. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thank you. Good to be here. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've got a busy day today, but um, busy is good, right? Apparently. Absolutely. Yeah. I can imagine being a founder of a cryptocurrency these days really takes up quite a lot of time with different meetings and planning, research, all that. Uh, yeah, and like the community and stuff, and being visible in various places. Yeah, it's a, it's a labor of love. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and it seems like there's quite a lot of stuff happening in the Radix community at the moment as well. Yeah, there's loads. There's oh, yeah, there's so much. I mean, I'm usually behind on what's happening in the in the community. Um, somebody will send me something from like a week ago, and it's like, oh damn, I didn't even know this was happening. It's uh, it's it's a very vibrant, very energetic community, mm. and uh, I mean it's it's good in my opinion. Obviously, I'm biased, but uh, I think it's probably one of the one of the better crypto communities. Um, I've been involved in a few over the years, and yeah, there's there's a real good set of people in there. Yeah, I've went into your Discord and Telegram and spoke to a few people. It really seems like a good bunch of people. And uh, as you said, once the the development comes to like the level where where like it's things happening without even you noticing and then over oh, there's something new here and something new that's kind of when it's starting to get exciting right because then so much things are happening yeah yeah and it's good as well because that's that, that's the way it should be right like the, the the project should be bigger than than just one person so that that kind of tells me that the project is growing to be its own thing now you know which is mm. obviously you want that for decentralization and uh all that kind of stuff so yeah, it's really encouraging to see to see the community grow and the projects outside of like my own little bubble of what I do day to day grow as well. Yeah. Um, and the the way the way that some of the guys in the in the community are are using what we currently have um, is quite ingenious as well. Very impressive. Yeah, and when you see this, then you kind of get the confirmation that you're doing something right at least, because yeah, then... yeah, yeah, at least doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but usually I like to ask the guests um, a little bit about their background story. So could you tell me the story how you ended up in crypto and how you kind of ended up where you are now? Sure. Yeah. I feel like I've said this a hundred times. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, it's it's well rehearsed at this point. Um, so uh, back in like 2010, 2011, I think was when I first heard about, um, about Bitcoin and stuff. Um, but I was, I was, quite busy with the the previous venture at the time. So it kind of went on my, this is really, really interesting. I need to check this out later list. Um, and then not too long after that, um, I had an exit from what I was doing previously. It was like mobile payments um, and like uh, kind of, kind of, kind of really early web two stuff for, for mobiles, um, uh, which kind of like, it was kind of iPhones, but before iPhones, that kind of stuff, where you had apps, they were called widgets back then, um, on your smartphones and stuff. Mm. And that kind of came to came to a close because um, Apple's iPhone and 
uh, Google's Android just kind of made what 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 we were doing somewhat obsolete, I guess, from from a from a tech and research point of view, um, and it would just have become a kind of monotonous building apps for phones, which you know, being a being a hardcore tech nerd, that's not really something that I wanted to do. An opportunity arose to to exit, so so I took it, um, and then I had like you know six months or so just messing around, chilling out. Um, and then remembered Bitcoin. I was like, oh yeah, I need to go and have a look at this this Bitcoin thing. Um, and initially, I was I was I was more interested in how is how has somebody solved this difficult computer science problem to do with you know, the double spend problem, consensus, permissionless, all this kind of stuff. Because uh, obviously, there hadn't been anything before that had, had, had solved it in the way that Satoshi solved it. Um, and so initially, it was a purely kind of you know technical engineering point of view that I was interested in understanding how this had been um, been solved. And then, kind of, there was a point where the realization of like, oh crap, this is this is going to be like world changing in its in its in, in in the way that it allows finance transactions, um, you know, networks of value, and that kind of thing. Um, so. It kind of, yeah, my, my yeah, my motivations kind of evolved. So I was still very much interested in the technical side, but then I also started to really think about the economic side of things as well. Um, and I spent maybe six, six, eight months just digging into the Bitcoin code, understanding how Satoshi had solved the problem, um, and the engineer and me just took it apart um, and highlighted a few areas of say concern, I guess, like, you know, this is going to have scalability issues. Um, I, I had a gut feeling that the mining would centralize um, as, as, as kind of the, the mining and infrastructure developed and matured and grew and you would have GPUs and ASICs and all this kind of stuff. And it would end up being, you know, just a, a few big, big players. Mm-hmm. Um, I never envisaged pools though, which I believe is something else that, um, uh, Satoshi never envisaged pools either. Um, pools never seemed to to make sense, but then they obviously do. When, when they turned up, it was like, oh yeah, of course, pools. Yeah, yeah why not? <laughs> um, and yeah, there was just like, like a there was just like a list of things that, that were like, okay, so um, how could you how could how could you maybe solve or alleviate some of these potential issues um, that Bitcoin might bump into later down the line. And it was all speculation, right? It, it, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Turns out that most of them it, it has, um, and that's kind of where my journey started. And it just became a, a complete rabbit hole of, okay, so how do you scale these systems? Turns out it's a hard problem. How do you make them efficient? Turns out it's a hard problem, and those hard problems are are, are such that I've been solving them for a decade. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, there was no, there was no quick fix. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where, where I started with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and uh, kind of compressed version of my, of my journey so far. Mm. Yeah, and I saw that Radix has been around for quite a lot of years. Like maybe not on the scale where it is today, but it was founded for quite like 2013, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, so I had some ideas after, after spending some time playing around with this stuff on what might work. Um, and so I, I guess you could say the, the, the project in quotes officially started in, in, in 2013. 
Um, but it wasn't like a commercial entity or anything. It was it was just me in my in my home office, you know, just 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 trying things. Um, and I acquired a following of people that were interested in what I was doing, and it's just kind of grown from there. Mm. And what kind of like was the trigger point that inspired you to go for for this and create Radix? Uh, there wasn't really a trigger point. Like I say, it, it, it just kind of evolved and it became a rabbit hole. Um, and then uh, I suppose I was so deep down the rabbit hole, but had enough ideas and enough confidence that if I worked hard enough on these problems, I could come up with something that was viable, mm-hmm. um, that it just didn't make sense sense to stop. Um, and I was quite fortunate because of, you know, previous successes. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't need money. If you if you know what I mean, like I yeah. didn't need to go out and earn a salary and do like a nine to five or whatever and be distracted by all that. Um, I had the means to be able to run um, on my own accord um, and you know not starve to death. So um, I, I just kept at it basically. I, I was sure that either I would solve it or if I didn't solve it, I would I would make progress so that somebody after me would solve it. Mm, very admirable. Um, but if you were to explain what Radix is in a very simple way, how would you put it? Um, so Radix, from a technical point of view, um, Radix is a protocol that is able to scale to meet the demands of a global population um, where that population is interacting on a daily basis with with DeFi applications, right? So the majority of their of their daily financial um, activities could can be supported by by the Radix protocol. That's kind of its its mandate, right? And and that includes things from just you know simple simple transactions, um, you know, me sending you a payment to complex. You know, I'm doing yield farming, and then I'm swapping in a pool, and then I'm selling that off on a dex, and I'm doing something else after that. Really complex operations as well. Um, and obviously you need scale for that right because there's 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 seven billion people seven eight billion people on the planet um and the ultimate dream of course is that all of those people on the planet have access to this new kind of um network of value that is a cryptocurrency and opens up global trade and reduces friction everybody can 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 take part in the global market of of trade without without uh you know prejudice and friction all this kind of stuff and that's that's ultimately what the vision is here is to be able to to develop a protocol that can that could support all of that global trade uh, yeah which is um, quite like, a task sorry. <laughs> it's quite ambitious <laughs> well but it's we, ha- we need to have that ambition to kind of push for tomorrow um i think it's very admirable to see all these projects uh, these days that are really pushing to to actually make a change instead of just making money if you know what i mean yeah, well, we're in a bear market, so all the guys that want that that, that came to make money are, are on our broken bankrupt, so they've all left. I guarantee they'll be back when the next bull comes around. But you oh, know, yeah, the, absolutely. The, um, the the stubborn builders amongst us, we're never going anywhere. Mm. And that's that's what I like about kind of being in this bear market because it's so easy to see who was here for the long term and actually meant what they were setting out to do instead of just coming here, do some big promise, and as soon as they got paid, they just disappeared. Yeah, yeah, it, it it cuts the bark from the from the good quality wood for sure. A bear market. Yeah, it's happened before, and I, you know it, it'll continue to happen. Yeah, it cycles, right? History repeats itself. Um, 
but yeah it's it's like you know bear markets bear markets for me are um they're quite nice because i'm able to get better focus because you know things are calm all the socials are calm everybody's calmer you know mm. people are obviously not happy that we're in a bear market and you know price action on their on their on their their token of choice maybe isn't what they wish it would be but for me from a developer's point of view, bear markets allow you to focus. Yeah, remove the distractions, right? All the noise around it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. But what would you say that you are, um, like, from your your um, like your way until where you want to be with the ultimate goal? I can see that you had the as you successfully completed the beta net, and now uh, it's live Olympia, and Alexandra is the one that is currently on. Am I right? Uh, so there's there's a bubble on Alpha that just dropped as well. Um, so so Olympia um, was the kind of bare bones uh, Radix network that that we went to market with. I think about eighteen months ago, um, and that kind of builds the foundations for subsequent releases that ultimately get us to uh, our Xi'an release, which is you know full scalability, full sc- smart contracts, bells and whistles, everything. Um, which kind of Xi'an ticks all the boxes of, 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 of the initial technical vision that I had, right? Mm. There's, there's, there's stuff after that, of course, but from, you know, winding back 10 years and like, okay, all these problems that I feel like I've identified with Bitcoin, what does that look like? Xi'an ticks all of those boxes. Um, so, so we had Olympia, which was kind of bare bones, um, simple transactions, um, but as I said earlier on, the community have been really ingenious on how they're using that network by creating NFTs and you know, having having exchanges and stuff that they built on there, um, which we didn't think they'd be able to do. But turns out we were wrong, right? Um, mm. And then Alexandria was a kind of uh, um, midpoint between Olympia and Babylon. Babylon is uh, full smart contracts. Um, with the Radix engine, Scripto, which is our asset-oriented programming language, which essentially makes it a lot simpler and a lot easier for a developer to build smart contracts, right? But without a lot of the complexity, without a lot of the security risk, it's it's much harder to do kind of fat finger errors where um, they might lead to, you know, um, an exploit and somebody drains your your pool reserves from your swap pool because you know you've pressed one instead of two at 4 a.m in the morning when you were pushing out uh, an update for it mm. so that's kind of Babylon so not really not really an, an improvement in terms of scalability um but kind of gets everything there ready for for developers gives them all the tooling allows them to do complicated smart contracts but in a in a simple and efficient way um because you know basically we don't need we don't need we don't need hundreds of thousands of TPS yet, right? Mm. Um, until the network has grown, and then uh, so Babylon is dropping uh, next year, um, and then the next step after that is is Xi'an, which is where all the sharding and the scalability comes into play. So that from that point forward, the network can grow unhindered, um, and it'll be able to cope with the demand. Yeah, and like is Xi'an like the ultimate um, version of Radix? Was there more coming after that as well? Uh, so Xi'an is what I'm currently focused on. Um, 
catching the bullets for the team, R and D, prototypes, testing, and stuff like that. Um, and while Xi'an ticks all the boxes of, of my initial kind of vision statement 10 years ago, um, there's a lot more that, that can come after Xi'an. Things like stateless validation so that you can uh, you can have the kind of super validators as opposed to them being um, strictly ordered and structured in, in an in-group, which in its own way gives rise to a lot of uh, you know. Improvements in efficiency, further improvements in throughput, this kind of stuff makes some aspects of the network simpler. So therefore you're reducing the tax surface. So the network becomes more secure, more resilient, etc. So mm. um Xi'an is 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 pretty good. Um, but there are still things that I wanna I wanna do after. But maybe not as um maybe not as major an update as, as Xi'an would be. There'd probably be, you know, minor additions. Um over over the coming years yeah a new feature you know there's there, there's there's stateless validation there's there's uh zero knowledge proofs for you know better privacy or whatever right <clears throat> yeah that's the thing when it comes to like a proper crypto project in in my eyes is that you pr- probably never completed it there's always something else to add down the road like identity use cases and all that kind of stuff Oh yeah, it's a never-ending list of things that what what I would like to do. Obviously, I've got to prioritize them to some degree, right? Um, mm. But yeah, you know, we'll probably be here again on this podcast in ten years and be like, "Hey, Dan, so how's uh, Super Mega Ultra Shian going?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. But um, I can also imagine that um, doing all this, like, you you need a a good team and a big team. Like how how many people is involved in Radix right now? Like hired in Radix? Uh, we're growing pretty quick. It's about a hundred right now, um, spread across you know tech, marketing, um, normal kind of day to day business related stuff that we need to do. Um, I don't think there's any intention for us to slow down right now. So by by the end of the year, we're going to be looking at maybe 120 people, and that will continue to grow next year as well. Awesome. And like, do you see that you might be a little bit hit with the the bear market in the like, the um, the less uh, funding that you might have to to token holdings and all that, or do you still be able to hire more people even though the market won't do any corrections for? Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Like we're, we've been quite smart with with our treasury, um, so we've got we've got we've got enough runway to get the job done. Uh, um, Obviously, if some opportunities arise where we can we can make that runway last a bit longer, um, then obviously we will. But it's not like it's not a concern that that, that that any of us wake up with right now. It's like yeah, we're good. We can get Xi'an out the door. Um, you know, if there happens to be a bull market during that time, then that's even better for us. But we're kind of prepared for the worst. We do a lot of preparing for the worst over here because I'm a complete pessimist when it comes to things out of my control. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good to hear. Um, good to know that you are safe for the for the future because I think a lot of projects has kind of been a little bit too optimistic, and now when they see that everything went a little bit worse as they might was expecting, then they kind of go into a state of panic. Yeah, I'm always of the of the attitude of okay, guys, what if the house burns down tomorrow? What are we going to do? Mm. <laughs> it's like okay, we've got plans for if the house burns down. Don't worry. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, 
Also, right now, um, what would you say is the main target for Radix? Is it like gaining more community developers or more like users onboarding like the regular people to come and play around with it? Uh, at the moment, it's it's more developer focused um, because I mean, like it, if you've got a smart contract platform that goes live and you've got no developers to build anything, then, you know, you're kind of it's like having a games console. That's the best games console ever made. But there's no games on launch day, right? You're not going to mm. do very well. Um, so even though it is a bit of a chicken and egg thing, right? Developers want users because then that's the incentive to build on your platform, but users want something to do. Otherwise they'll just stay where they are. Um, developers do take the edge a little bit, at least right now, because you need the things for your users to do, right? So um, we spend a lot of efforts on like the scripto stuff and uh, making sure that the language is, is, is solid, that the Radix engine is solid, but also outside of the protocol, um also like developer events you know we, we have hackathons we have, have competitions that we won with with the developers in the community so very engaged with with developers also very a lot of feedback we get a lot of feedback from those developers and you know we implement we listen things that could be better things that aren't quite right we will we just want to give developers the best experience possible um because like if your learning curve is lower then then you can attract um a lot more developers right like at the moment crypto you know if you're if you're serious about any kind of DeFi or or web3 product that you want to make you, you you've kind of got to be a, a coding wizard because it's so complicated mm. um and that means that you know in this entire space there's only maybe one or two thousand really competent um dab developers um and that's that's obviously a kind of friction, right? Like if if websites, if you had to have a degree in computer science to build a website, then I'm sure that the internet wouldn't be quite as populated as it is. Um, so you need to lower that bar so that you know your your non wizards can come along and build stuff as well, and even so that your kind of casual developer can come along and try try a new product maybe they're trying to build a business and programming isn't their strong point um you know it just opens the door for developers all developers right mm. yeah it's it's a way to go to make it easier because of, of course it, the easier it is the more people that you will get on board um which is kind of a no-brainer as well um but there's also quite a lot of cryptos to choose from um so for the, for the regular man on the street how would you say makes Radix different from other cryptos? Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. So, I mean, it, it depends where you're looking, right? If you're looking right now, um, or are you looking into the future? So, I mean, it, it, if you're looking right now, then 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 what we offer in terms of you know what's out there, what's mainnet, it's it's quite basic, right? Um, it's basic for a reason, but it's it, it's quite basic. So. You're going to find it difficult to do the same things that you can do on Ethereum um, on the Radix network right now. Um, but come Babylon, the starts to shift a little bit because then things you can do on Ethereum, you can do on the Radix network, but it's much easier to do. It's much more efficient. You're not writing 10,000 lines of smart contract code. You're writing 300 to do the same job. Um, so if you're looking today, then yeah we're kind of on the back foot a little bit in terms of what we have out there but as you as you look forward into the future and the releases that we have and 
where our roadmap is going, um, the scales tip in, in the other direction. Mm, great answer. Um, another developer, which I find very competent, um, he has spoken very highly of you. Uh, I think you know who it is, Hans Moog, he, which is a, um, a developer oh, yeah. on uh, IOTA. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have a uh, let's say respectful to each other and hold each other in high regard. Yeah, that that's that's very nice to see people from different um, communities being able to communicate and like cooperate if that's needed. And he he did say that some of these for IOTA is influenced by Radix. Um, so I was wondering, what's your opinion about their newly released Shimmer network? You know, I'll be completely honest. I I I haven't spent a great deal of time looking at it. I have, I have intention to to go and have a dig through and go down the IOTA rabbit hole again. Um, but I've had I've had a very flamboyant summer going on, too many holidays that have stacked up over COVID, and I've landed back in the office with a huge backlog of things to do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I just need to get to it. And yeah. like it, it, I've kind of skimmed around the surface, and it's it, it, I think it's I think it's definitely a step in the right direction, but. Um, I haven't really gone deep with it, unfortunately. So, mm. you know, yeah. I can't really comment. Anything, anything that I was going to say as a, as, a, as a praise or a criticism will probably be wrong. Fantastic. Um, maybe we can do a podcast later on. You know, me, me, Hans, and you would be would be awesome to do. Yeah, I'd love that. Get the in-depth. That'd be cool. Um, it would. Yeah. Uh, another thing which I believe you are in control of is the Radix Labs and Cassandra. Uh-huh. What is that? Sorry, I was taking a swig of tea. But for all the Radix people listening, it wasn't a bagel. It's a bit of an in-joke we've got going on. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Radix Labs, Cassandra. Yeah, where, I, where I'm at my happiest. So, like, what is it that Radix Labs is focusing on? and What is Cassandra? Okay, so um, Radix Labs, or more specifically Cassandra, is basically a prototype of... Uh, of Shia, right? So um, the whole kind of concept of sharding um, is is interesting and a difficult problem at the same time. Um, you've got the kind of blockchain trilemma that, that gets thrown around is 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 an issue. You've got atomic composability, which, which is where um, you know, uh, let's say you want to go on vacation. And you're trying to book a flight and then you want a hotel, but you don't want to book the flight unless there's a hotel available and vice versa. Um, depending on what your sharding model looks like, you can end up in a bit of a quagmire there where you've, you've booked one or the other, but then it turns out that the other one is sold out as you were booking your flight, right? So the hotel has just sold its last room, but you've now gone ahead and booked your flight. Mm. And what you actually want is all or nothing, right? You want, both, you want either both or not at all. Um, and so all those kind of all those kind of things, you know, that's kind of what Cassandra is is testing testing the bounds on, right? So you know we've got service, we've we've got a way to do sharding, but there's there's a lot of peripheral things around the edges of that core theory that are like, okay, well how how, how does this loop? How does this need to be built? What does this loop like? How do you do um, efficient verification across shards? What's what does the trust model loop? Like what are the failure cases when you know, there's a problem in, in, in one shard, um, but you're involved in a transaction that touches your own shard that you're a validator in um, and this shard that's currently having, having issues. Um, 
what does that look like? How does that manifest itself up to the user? And it's just just a million questions. It's not just about having okay. Um, there's a model of sharding that works great. Let's let's kind of all go and pass ourselves on the back and have a rest. There's a ton of stuff around that that is to do with sharding, but it's also its own thing in its in its own way. So Cassandra is um, is a way to test all that, right? And 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 to to get ahead of the development team so that when they're when they when they're coding Xi'an, all of these blueprints are available for them so they didn't have to stop essentially they can just okay this is all been figured out already we, we just need to build this thing right we haven't got to worry about this stuff um and also cassandra serves as a bit of a kind of testing ground for crazy ideas that i might have in, you know with consensus or with state models or you know whatever the flavor is of interest that week in terms of um of the research mm. yeah uh, this topic would be very interesting to speak about hans and you about because he also is very um fascinated about the sharding topic i see him talking about it quite often so that would be really cool um another little um thing that i noticed was a developer royalty system tell me a little bit more about that ah yeah yeah that's really interesting um so i if you think about um the internet right and you've got all these open source projects uh, and most of the internet is is built on on open source code Um, and there's like a little meme that floats around where you've got this stack of blocks that represent the internet and and there's one little block at the bottom um, and that little block that nobody knows what it does um, is maintained by one guy somewhere on the planet and if if that fails all the internet comes tumbling down right mm. um, it's like a thankless job essentially um, but that's what a lot of the internet is built upon right Linux is is open source and What is it? Something like eighty percent of all the of all the you know world's websites run on on a on, on a Linux OS, um, and so what the kind of developer royalty system is in Radix is well, you know what if if you're a developer that's that's made this component that is very popular, you know it, it does something really cool or something really useful, and a lot of other developers use that component, then you can have you know, some royalties for every time that component is, is, is executed. Right. Mm. Um, so number one, it saves developers having to reinvent the wheel and potentially making a mistake there. You've already, you've already built it. Right. Um, so they don't have to, they don't have to copy it. It saves them time. Um, obviously you as the, as the, as the initial developer are going to maintain whatever that component is and what it does. Right. So you're going to, you're going to fix issues with it, you know, bug, bug releases, all this kind of stuff. So you're going to maintain it, um, and these royalties kind of give you the incentive as the, as the developer to maintain that code, right? Because there's some infrastructure somewhere that is is maybe built upon it, um, yeah. and like you can, and these kind of networks of value, right? It 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 actually becomes a bit of a no-brainer. It's like, well, of course you would do that, um, but traditionally in your kind of traditional Web two kind of environment, it's very difficult to enable developer royalties like on github and stuff right mm. um it's not easy to do it um but with 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 blockchains cryptocurrencies DeFi, um you already have a network there that just natively allows you to support something like that so um it was one of those oh well yeah duh, let's do that <laughs> you know yeah yeah because when once i read about it it kind of like just made perfect sense that why, right exactly yeah exactly yeah why wouldn't you do that right like, yeah. like it's it, it's not why would you it's well why wouldn't you 
Definitely, it's it's something that just makes perfect sense. And I is this something that you guys are already rolling out, or is this something like it's in a developing phase? Um, if I get this wrong, Matt will kill me. Um, I, it's definitely on the roadmap somewhere in the near future. It may be Babylon, but I'm not going to commit to that because I've probably got it wrong. Um, but I can find out and I can let you know. Fantastic. And is this something that like you can implement it in whatever you want, or is it like some kind of limitations to it? Um, so like the, the the way the way the kind of ecosystem works on Redix in terms of a developer is, um, it's kind of driven by blueprints, right? So so I would I would create a blueprint that does a particular function, uh, and I, I could submit that to the network, um, and then other developers can can instantiate that blueprint into a component within their own uh, smart contract um, and then they can call that component with you know whatever they, it is that they need it to do and of course they will probably have their own components as well that build on top of that initial component and their own components that they've built may also receive royalties because other developers may be using them as well right so you, you might have this kind of you know this kind of uh, this chain of royalties um, that have to be paid for each execution of some particular function because the DAP that you're using is using, you know, a smart contract component from Bob and one from Carol and one from Alice and et cetera, et cetera, right? Which is how it looks in, in, in the web today. You know, you use a library from GitHub for this particular thing, then you use a different library for something else. And sometimes those libraries that you're using at open source, you know, reference each other, right? And all this kind of stuff. So you just end up with this kind of, this web of blueprints of components that you can just use as a developer to make your life easier. Mm, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Um, there's another program that I noticed which caught my eye because awareness is something, well, it's the reason why I do this podcast because I like to give someone a platform where they can come and explain without the community having to kind of read thousand different um, medium posts as well as following all the right people on Twitter and be, mm-hmm. be in 15 different Discord channels, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, you can have uh, you can have too many channels. Information overload. Yeah, I can see on my own Discord, I have too many channels. I'm not able to keep up with what's going on on each of them. Um, so that's why I decided to just do this podcast where everybody from their team can come and explain about their own projects, right? Then the community are able to get that kind of information straight from the source. Um, no, like third party shilling it or over promising something that is not true on a Reddit post or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the let let's see if I am I able to pronounce this right. The Dandelions program. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. That caught my eye a little bit. Um, has that been a success for you guys? Uh, yeah. As far as I know, yeah. Um, so. I haven't been too involved with that program, actually. Um, I've been head down, you know, my backlog, some vacations, et cetera. Um, but I uh, I get kind of high-level reports on how things like that are going. And as far as I'm aware, it's, 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 it's been successful um, and, and the team are very happy with, with the results. Um, same with like the Radvocates program as well. I mean, we've always got something going on to do with, you know, engaging with the community, giving them something new to do, new ways to interact, new ways to, to promote with us. Um, they do a really good job. And there's, there's always so much going on. It's, uh, I don't know how they do it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's pretty nice to see that you give an incentive for people to, to, to kind of help out, spread the word. 
Like you say, you can fill out a form and get up to ten thousand dollars in um, in your own token to test out that idea. That's br- that's brilliant to give, like as I said, give your great marketing idea an opportunity to bloom. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think as well there's um, there's a there's a grant program that um, uh, we're also looking at as well. Um, so uh, May has the details on that. Um, she was talking about it in one of the one of our Radix Twitter Spaces a couple of weeks ago. So there's there's so much stuff that we've got lined up. Um, you know, to kind of assist developers and the broader community as well, and get them engaged. It's um, it's just constant stream of stuff that's going to be coming down the pipe. Mm. Yeah, and you also mentioned that you're setting up a grant. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a there's, there's a grant program that, that's currently being defined and, and, and worked out. Um, so that you know, developers that have a cool a really cool idea, but maybe you know they haven't they haven't got the funding to kind of kickstart it then. Um, that's something that we're looking at as well. Mm, yeah, I just I just finished up reading about the the Ave um, grant, which sounds it sounds very interesting. Like, if you have that amount, then it's just okay straight away, more or less, just approved. And then if it's come out a little bit higher, then you have to get a couple people to approve it, and then KYC comes in uh, as the requested amount goes up. Yeah, very interesting, and it's been a huge success for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a good model. For sure, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're still working through the details of ours. I'm not, I'm not particularly involved with that side of things. Like I say, I just get, um, I just get high level updates on some of this stuff. But um, I'm quite excited to see what what a program like that would actually bring in, right? Because I know that a lot, a lot of the developers and people that engage with us in the community, they've all got day jobs and stuff, right? Of, mm. of course, um, and there's a lot of cool ideas out there in the community. So, really interested. What what would happen if if some of those cool ideas could could you know flourish without having to worry so much about okay where does my paycheck come from for the next few months so yeah um, yeah really excited I, I guarantee there'll be something that comes out of that where you're like wow this is this is insane yeah one will be surprised if you see like if once people actually get an incentive to to push their own ideas if it's just uh, like a leap of faith like either this goes or it's completely broke for three years ahead then people might get a little bit scared of but if they have a grant so they can kind of rest a little bit then i think you're going to be surprised to see what can come out of that yeah for sure i mean like it's it's not really an incentive is it i, I it's more freedom right yeah. it's like i haven't got to worry about this uh, you know I, I was i was considering doing it anyway so i'm already incentivized because that would be successful and that would be good for me but sometimes the risk involved in taking that plunge is a little bit too much. So if you can mitigate that risk, then you essentially give somebody some freedom to follow that, follow that decision, which, which, um, well, yeah, it's what, it's what you should promote that, right? That's mm. important. Yeah. I mean, you just saw the, the Shimmer network did the same and took 10% off the, the, um, the supply and put it into this treasury, which is supposed to buy, be the grant for that ecosystem. Um, so really cool to see that more and more are starting to adopt this idea in order to to push their own ecosystem into to a lot better state. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think you've kind of got to initially, at least, right? Because <clears throat> you're kind of the um, initially you're you, you're like the parents of a child, right? Like the the child shows a lot of promise, but you know, it can't really fend for itself. It needs to learn. It needs to understand the world. You know, it needs to needs to grow and mature. And then at, at some point, 
that child leaves the the nest of its parents and and, and goes its own way, right? Um, and so when your network is young, it, it, it's the same. It, it's the same way. It's it, it's kind of growing up, right? There, there's 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 things that you would that you have to you have to support it. You have to promote it. You have to nurture it. Mm-hmm. Um, these kind of you know networks that do these these grant systems. Um, just a really good way to good way to do that and then there comes a point where it's not needed anymore because the network then you know it's it's an adult right it's self-sufficient it's it's it is truly its own economy that is self-sustaining um but in the early years you, you need to bootstrap that economy otherwise it'll never get off the ground um and it'll unfortunately you know become a ghost chain right it's just mm. a, a common term i think um so I mean, yeah, like if you don't promote, if you don't promote your platform, your network, then um, you're just staring failure in the face. You've got to promote it, whether whether that's whether that is grants or if you're a, you know a project that is maybe underfunded. There's there's, there's there's many ways that you can do it, right? You'd be present and you know just just be places, promote what it is that you're doing, and build awareness, right? Sometimes awareness is 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 very valuable because the people then know what you're doing and if if what you're doing is really cool that will inspire people but as the as the creators of the network initially you've you've got an nurture it yeah yeah like awareness is a very key thing that i th- i think many people underestimate because it's like essentially saying that if let's say i created a life-changing medicine in my basement but i didn't tell anyone i wouldn't save anyone did i right exactly yeah that's like that's like the ultimate failure of build it and they will come, right? Yeah. I've built it, but it's it's locked in my basement. <laughs> oh, yeah. why is why is nobody coming? Well, oh, you're in your basement, man. What do you gonna happen? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um another thing uh, I noticed that you guys have two tokens, one XRD and EXRD. What's the difference between those? Um so <clears throat> EXRD is a wrapped version of XRD, so that um, you can you can essentially take advantage of a lot of the DeFi products that are available over on uh, Ethereum um, until Babylon essentially hits the ground running. Um, you know, Ethereum's got a huge, huge ecosystem, so um, it just kind of it, it wasn't it wasn't particularly difficult for us to do. Um, and so it kind of made sense that okay, while we're while we're building Babylon and you know we're getting all the smart contract stuff ready, um, <clears throat> people might want to go backwards and forwards between the Radix network and, and go and do some DeFi stuff somewhere. So uh, EXRD is is the perfect conduit for that. So you can you can wrap your XRD over in the Radix network, um, and then you get a an ERC twenty token over on the Ethereum network, and you can go and do some stuff with it over there. Um, and then you can you can you can then unwrap it and you got your XID back on on mm. uh, on Radix. It's a little bit more it's a little bit more involved than that, but essentially you know you get the idea. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, like it's it's kind of just an extension. You know, like you got wrapped Bitcoin and you have them on like Ethereum and BSC and all those uh, um, and BNB and all those other kind of networks. It just allows you to do the same thing essentially. Yeah, it, it makes sort of sense as well because then you give your your user base a little bit more space to move around and play around with instead of having to choose like that or that. Now you're able to kind of jump between the networks like using these bridges between them. Yeah, one of the 
probably one of the most in, in, important things it was used for was um, once when, when the Radix network went live, um, we had no exchanges, um, but we had a very healthy liquidity pool on uh, Uniswap. So you can, you know, you could you could interact with your tokens over on the Radix network, and then if you wanted to exchange them for something else, then you could move your you could you could convert that to a, to EXID, move that to the Ethereum network, sell your EXID on the liquidity pool, and then you know do whatever you wanted to do, right? You had the ETH or the USD that you had and, and stuff. And vice versa, you could go the other way if you wanted. If you wanted some XID, then you could um, you could go the other way and get USD, go to the pool, get EXID, and then uh, bridge them over to the over to the Radix network. So that that was really useful initially when um, when ex when we had no exchanges. We've had real issues with exchanges <laughs> because um we don't have the volume um that gets them interested i guess um and that's kind of one we're maybe underexposed in the, in, in the broader market so you know we're, we're, we've been very much under under the radar for a long time um and now um you know we're kind of popping up but it takes time right it takes time mm -hmm. for awareness to grow and for people to get excited about what it is that you're doing um, but secondary to that, we have some true diamond hands. <laughs> so no one's selling anything. <laughs> so it's like oh, volumes low there. <laughs> yeah, but then you see the, the community sees the long-term value of what you guys are building as well. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like um, they believe in the vision. Mm. Um, so of course they're not going to want to sell what, what they have, right? Um, but then, yeah, that just puts us in this weird, weird middle ground where we've got low volume but a fairly high market cap and that alone causes some people to raise eyebrows it's like well why is this market cap so high but the volume so so low it's like because nobody's selling because people don't want to sell to tokens because they believe in what we're doing yeah. so you know and then you go to exchanges and it's like oh you guys have got no volume whatsoever we'll list you for two million dollars it's like what <laughs> yeah it's just insane so, uh, so yeah, but then the problem, of course, is you're splitting liquidity as well, right? So the liquidity you do have, instead of being on a couple of exchanges, it ends up being on 10. And so you get massive price slippage then. So it's just, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating. The question that I did uh, wondering about is, what's your opinion about the two big ones, meaning Bitcoin and Ethereum? Like, will they last? Um, will they lose their throne one day due to their lack of scalability in their like severe energy use, the low speed, the high fees, and all that? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, okay. I I think Ethereum is definitely probably the more vulnerable of the two. Um, I think, like, Bitcoin's in this special, this special place where it was, it was the first, mm -hmm. um, and it has, you know, it's, it's still dominant market cap, it's still the kind of dominant store of value within the crypto economy. Um, it's, it's gained a lot of traction in terms of, you know, external economy as well, right? Like, like bringing in kind of retail investors and, you know, Bob the plumber who you talk to in the pub has got some Bitcoin these days. So I think, I think Bitcoin, it's, it's got a it's got a very very strong unique position position in the market. So, I do think that Bitcoin will be around for 
for a long time, like like at least another decade, if not longer. Not necessarily holding top spot, but I don't think Bitcoin's going anywhere um, long term. I think Ethereum, Ethereum is who everybody's competing with, right? So, mm. you know, back back five or six years ago, it was like Bitcoin killer, yeah? We're the Bitcoin killer. And now you don't see any new projects coming out saying we're the Bitcoin killer. Now it's we're the Ethereum killer. It's like, mm. oh, right, it's changed, right? Bitcoin's got to pass these days. Bitcoin's cool. It's okay. Um, Ethereum is where is where everybody's got their guns pointed. Um, and... You know, Ethereum have, have 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 hit some hit some friction, right? Like they've been they've been uh, scaling the network for almost as long as I've been researching scalability. So, you know, but it's a hard problem, right? It's uh, I don't mean that disrespectful in any way. It's a, it's a hard hard problem to scale scale these systems, um, and so everybody's got their eyes on Ethereum. And I think I I, I think Ethereum really is on that precipice of like it's going to be too little too late i think mm. um you know the next six to 12 months will will definitely be the point where it becomes obvious if ethereum is going to survive or not um and past that point it doesn't matter what they do i think they will they will lose um market share if they if they if they haven't retained it yeah, because it's like everybody looks looks at them like the regular people. I would say not not those that are deep diving into building and all that, but like the average in crypto investor, right? Looks at Ethereum so like this great big project that will never gonna fail, gonna take over the world, but they're already lacking scalability. So that's a problem. Right, exactly. Like Ethereum, Ethereum has all of the issues I identified with Bitcoin, plus more because yeah. of the right. So. It's it's in a worse position than, than than Bitcoin really for its for for longevity because it has it has more challenges ahead of it. Um, even if there were no competitors, it, you know, it's it there's still a lot more. There's more complexity in there. There's more there's more issues, right? Like the these hacks on Ethereum. I mean, what is it now? Billions of dollars mm. of, of hacks and things, um, and that's. You know that's partly down to developers, right? Maybe not experienced enough or, or or making mistakes, but it's also also partly down to the way that the EVM was designed as well. So, um, yeah, it's gonna, it's an interesting time for Ethereum. I think I think it's kind of now or never. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that because now you're starting to see project coming up now, which they have the scalability uh, under control. They don't spend nearly a, as much energy, like if you're gonna call it the green cryptos, right? Which is starting to be a bigger and bigger uh, aspect these days, uh, as well as speed uh, and fees, which is just ludicrous. On like the gas fees on Ethereum is just, just insane. Oh yeah, right? it can be crazy some days. Like some days it can be two hundred bucks. Yeah. It's like what? And that's, that's like... not gonna like be adopted in any way. Nobody's ever going to to like. It is now like I think that's because the the ecosystem using this like, has kind of accepted it, but it's hard to get new people to jump on top of that and just accept it in in a bigger way, right? And now once all these new new guys comes on comes in town, uh, showing them that it's a better solution and it's a win win for everybody. It just it's cheaper for the developers, it's cheaper for the users, it's cheaper for the NFT artists. Everybody wins. Then I think people will move. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, 
like th th there's always this argument uh in ethereum's favor of you know well it's got uh, it's got the, it's got all the developers it's like yeah but the, the developers aren't there just doing it for kicks and giggles right i mean mm -hmm. if something better comes along where they can make more more money right more profit on the products they're making then, then they're going to move right yeah as like, well as a better product it, even 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 disregarding a better product if if there is you know let's say that there's this new network that nobody's ever heard of and then you know some some lone developer took a huge risk and built an application on that network and that application just takes off and then onboards 50 100 million regular users right not not crypto natives who know like you know the market and everything but like people outside of crypto right you kind of mainstream regular joes and you and a hundred million of those get onboarded because this app that this loan developer made was so successful you you better believe that a ton of ethereum developers will jump ship immediately because not only is there a huge user base there there's a huge user base that is new that mm. they can go and they can try and sell their products to right yeah it, it, you know it's it's not a circle jerk anymore essentially right it's it's a new audience a new market a new demographic of people so you, for like all it all it takes is one or two of them and if and ethereum becomes a has-been exactly i completely agree with that and i do agree also with that the next close future will be very exciting to see which way because i think this can almost like feel like it happened overnight that just like boom oh everybody waking up slow oh, no, what's happening to ethereum like everybody is migrating to more efficient cheaper networks yeah yeah i mean like solana you know it uh, yeah it it has it's it you know it has it has its problems um you know i've i've, I've been quite critical of solana in the past but, but look how solana entered the stage right Right, just nowhere zero to hero overnight, almost, mm. um, because there was some aspects of what it did that it, that it can do much better than Ethereum, right? Yeah, and so the developer community there took advantage of that, and it grew very, very quickly. Um, and you know, Solana became probably the front-running contender right now as. Uh, is the the main ethereum killer right well the ethereum killer um i don't think it will, will be slander that actually you know sends the 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 final nail into the coffin so to speak but solana is an interesting is, is an interesting study case of how quickly if you do something right and you do it well and you know, it's not just about marketing the tech had to be there for for that developer ecosystem to grow so quickly um, mm, you know yeah they, there had to be something there that developers could leverage and use. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, Solana is really an interesting project. And it's it's like interesting to see how quickly it was able to take that user base um, and grow it into what it became. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw the other day that a lot of people are now moving to Cardano due to some royalty issues and all that. And a friend of me said it pretty well. Uh, he said, people in Solana are people that are willing to ignore red flags. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there, there's a lot of criticism of Solana, right? Some some justified, some not. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, if you want to see if you want to see Solana all over again, you know, a, a a rapidly growing developer ecosystem, 
that puts dents into the market share, you know, the DeFi market share of Ethereum, then probably your, your next best bet to go and observe that right now is probably Aptos. Um, mm. Because Aptos has kind of been touted around as the Solana killer, right? While Solana was apparently the Ethereum killer. So, you know, by deduction, you get, okay, Aptos is then the next Ethereum killer, is it not? Um, again, I don't think that Aptos will, will be the Ethereum killer that people maybe think it, it would be. But if you want to study an interesting developer use case, then I think, I think Aptos is probably going to build a developer ecosystem very, very quickly in the same way that Solana did. And by doing so, it will take a chunk of the developer liquidity away from Ethereum. Yeah, it's like it's like you said that it won't be the final nail, but it is a nail. And with enough nails, you're able to to close the coffin, right? Right. Death by a thousand cuts. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you see each of these maybe solve one of the new problems. And then in the end, enough problems have been solved to, to actually get the, the real killer out there. Yeah, or you'll get a project that comes along that solves all of the problems, right? Like yeah. at the moment, this, this this industry does feel like it's kind of uh, like slowed. Maybe is uh, I, I I don't want to say stalled because that's not strictly true, but it does feel like like innovation has kind of slowed, um, where everybody's kind of taking small steps, um, and you can't win this with small small steps right like bitcoin was an absolute leap and then mm. ethereum was a leap from that and so the next thing has got to be a leap and obviously i'm biased right i'm i'm, I'm betting on that we're the ones that are going to do that leap um but if it's not always somebody somebody at some point will but i think these kind of baby steps that you're seeing with these projects where you know okay so so this is a problem so we'll solve that and it's like, well, what about all the other problems? Uh, yeah, but they aren't important. It's like, well, yeah, they are, right? Sure, you're going to capture a bit of market share for a little while, but everybody's going to catch up to you because they're going to solve either that problem themselves as well and they can compete directly with you or they're going to solve a different problem that you didn't solve, but that, that, that uh, again, allows them to compete directly with you. You need, you need a leap, right? You need to be 100 meters ahead of everybody else, not 10. Um, and I just don't feel like that really is anywhere right now. Mm, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. You need that that um, once in a lifetime. Uh, I was about to say, which is probably not the right word to use, but well, I mean, in crypto, a week might as well be a year, so I yeah. think it still fits. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but I think that was a good place to end. I think we just covered uh, one hour. Uh, it's been a great hour. I really appreciate that you took the time and came to talk to us about it. And I no problem. It's nice to have these kind of more chilled, chilled chats, um, uh, a bit more fluid. I, I really enjoy these kind of conversations. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much, mate. And I'm looking forward to see if we can do this another time. Um, I think everybody would be very interesting. Looks like it was quite a good um, feedback from from that that your tweet already. Cool, cool. Yeah, let's do it again. Just Fantastic. let me know. So thank you guys for listening and thank you, Dan, for joining and I'll see you guys next time. Cheers.